Well, good morning. Uh, you guys are still here, so that's a good sign. At least those of you who are still here are still here because talking about Plato and dropping Greek bombs and stuff hasn't driven you off. Or maybe you just want to see how incredibly crazy and off the wall we can get in here. I don't know. Progressive revelation is Yeshua's story. The Torah and the prophets all point to Yeshua in certain ways. And now having talked about Plato and radio, we can get to the good stuff about what God said through Yeshua in the first century, specifically in this verse from Hebrews chapter one. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. That's Hebrews one. As we talked last week, we laid out a development process from Ecclesiastes and Job's view of death and the soul, that you die and that's it. You go down and you die. Uh, our, our, the, the, to, from there to the perception of an immortal soul, a piece of us that continues after our body is gone and sooner, so, soon and very soon we'll consider where that immortal soul might go. But for today, we will now begin our divergence from Greek thought. And as you might expect, it's a fairly significant one. I got here through that consideration, and we talked all about that last week, and if you're not familiar with it, go back and listen. But all of this relates to one very important aspect, and interestingly, it is the elementary principle number five. Something that every believer should know and understand. The resurrection of the dead. That is something that the author says. Now, understand this. The Jewish body and soul connection. You see, the Greek people, the Greek philosophers, they spend all kinds of time talking about your blessed and, and enlightened soul and, and it, that it's the, it's the lover of reason and beauty, the seat of intellect and all that was good for the philosophical mind. That's the Greek way of seeing it. Now, Judaism, regardless of whether or not their idea of immortal souls came from, from Plato or Greek thought, regardless of that, Judaism developed a deep and rich understanding of the soul. And by the time of Messiah, actually several, several centuries before, Judaism also had a highly valued picture of this soul. It was treasured for a very different reason. Because the soul is God's gift to you. The soul is the peace of God that's you and God, in essence, that he breathed into you. We read that last week in Genesis 2. Judaism tells us that the soul is provided to us at conception. You ever seen that video of the sperm and egg at conception with the flash of light that takes place at that particular moment? The question as to the point of time in which the human embryo becomes endowed with the soul is said to have been discussed by Rav Judah, the editor of the Mishnah, and his Roman friend Antoninus. 
And he, well, here, here's the discussion they had. Antoninus asked the rabbi, when is the soul implanted in the human being? At the moment of conception or at the time of the embryo's formation? He answered, Rav did, at the time of formation. Antoninus, the other said, is it possible for a piece of meat to remain unsalted without going bad? Surely it must be at the moment of conception. Rav Judah exclaimed, Antoninus has taught me something. And a text support his, supports his view. Job, thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. You know who Antoninus is? Marcus Aurelius. That's at least a very significant way, thought. There are some other ideas, but Marcus Aurelius, friends with the editor of the Mishnah, they sat down and talked about God. Marcus Aurelius is a Stoic philosopher. Brilliant. If you've ever read Marcus Aurelius' quotes, brilliant. But my point is not that. It's just interesting to note that the editor of the Mishnah is talking to a Roman philosopher, right? But the soul is given in Judaism's mind and Marcus Aurelius' mind at conception. It's a gift from God. It empowers life. The Talmud teaches that the souls pre-exist, that every soul ever has been created and is in heaven. And when God chooses the time, it goes and finds the body in which. Now, there's a midrash that I love to tell at weddings about the soul mate. The midrash says that when God takes this soul from the place of souls in heaven, that he splits it in two. And that one half goes to a male and the other half goes to a female. And that when they find themselves in life, that soul is reunited. That's the idea of soulmates. It's a Jewish thing. There are five names for the soul in Jewish thought. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yachida. But, you know, it's very hard. As you're reading the Talmud and Jewish literature, it's very hard. They don't necessarily differentiate those all the time. But honestly, the nefesh chaya is like the animal soul, the living part of you. The nefesh elohit is like the godly soul, the part of you. The ruach and the neshama, they're sort of similar. But all of this to say there was a lot of thought given to the soul and understanding the depth of beauty that we had to be holders of a soul in Jewish thought this developed the soul is to be treasured and guarded and kept pure hence we perform mitzvot one of the things we say in the in the in the morning i don't know if it's in here let me see if it is elohai neshama my God, the soul you placed within me is pure. You created it. You formed it. You breathed it into me. You protect it within me. You will ultimately remove it from me, only to return it to me in the future to come, as long as my soul is within me. I thank you, O Lord, my God and God of my fathers, master over all works, Lord over all souls. Blessed are you, O Lord, who restores souls to dead bodies. I want you to remember that last line. Who
who restores souls to lifeless bodies. The human body in Judaism is one thing. In Greek thought, it's something else. And here comes the divergence. The soul in Greek thought is good. Your body, ugh, ugh, gross. Hence Plato's famous dictum, soma sema, a body, a tomb. Your body in Greek thought is nothing but a prison cell for which your soul is dying to escape, to ascend, to enlightenment, to shed this nasty thing that, that takes you places and makes you do gross things. The soul is pure. The body is disgusting. Judaism sees this very, very differently. The human body is created in the image of God. We are God's crowning achievement. Everything you see when you look in the mirror, be inspired. Everything you see when you look in the mirror is God's crowning achievement. Outside and in. Our bodies are a masterpiece. And part of the master's plan is that our immortal souls will be reunited with this body. An absolutely abhorrent thought to Greeks. The sooner we get this off, the better. Never to be seen or heard from again. Judaism. Blessed are you, O Lord, who restores souls to lifeless bodies. The resurrection of the dead became the, the most important doctrine of the rabbis and of our rabbi, Yeshua. But back to Israel. We know that not everyone in Israel agreed with that, right? Who supported the idea of resurrection in Yeshua's time? The Pharisees. Who did not? Is that any wonder that they were sad, you see? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were at each other's throats about this and other things. Paul was smart. He knew this. In Acts 23, he says, Brothers, I am a Pharisee. That's a whole nother message. Never forget that when you're talking to somebody who says, Paul, put the law down. Acts 23, Paul says, I am a Pharisee. Later, he says, I've never done anything against the Torah or even the traditions of the fathers. Don't ever let somebody tell you that Paul didn't observe the Torah or else he's a liar. Back to the point. Paul was smart. He knew in this argument, I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees and the assembly was divided. Why might you think that the Sadducees did not subscribe to the idea of resurrection or an immortal soul? 
Why might you think that? What did the Pharisees think about the oral law and the religious traditions of man? What did they think about them? They did not like them. And the reason that the Sadducees did not believe in any type of immortality or resurrection is because they couldn't find it in the written word. They read Job, and they read the Psalms, and they read Ecclesiastes, and it looked to them like goes down and that's it. It was not taught in the Torah. It was a doctrine of man. It was an oral tradition that the Pharisees had invented. Now, listen to me right now. Catch this very, very, very important point. Because you might not hear exactly what I'm telling you right now. The Pharisees, God's ultimate enemy, right? Pharisees, ugh. The all-out enemies of Jesus, the Pharisees, are the ones who came up with the doctrine of the resurrection. It was a progressive revelation, just like we talked about the immortal soul moving through Jewish thought. These ideas of resurrection and the soul coming back into the human body, there are a lot of places in the Torah where it discusses this and, in the, and some in the Tanakh. But it was the Pharisees and the rabbis and sages of the time who took this idea and formulated it into the most fundamental doctrine of Judaism. Before it, it was hard to find. Now that may be shocking to you, but that's the truth of the matter. They postulated and articulated not only the foundational idea of the immortal soul, but also the idea of a resurrection. Whether from, from I don't care where, Egypt, Egypt to Plato to, to whoever, it doesn't matter. Because here's the point. We know who won that debate between Pharisees and Sadducees, right? This is the world into which Jesus Christ came. At this particular time in history, he showed up, Yeshua, the Messiah. And God took what he did and placed a stamp on the Pharisaic idea of the resurrection of the body. I'll clear that up. But through Yeshua, God took his A-OK -okay stamp and put a mark on it with an exclamation point. The resurrection is real. Sadducees, you will remain sad, you see. This was the world into which God inserted the Messiah. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What is the hope? What is our hope? This 
This is why it makes absolutely zero difference where the idea of an immortal soul came from. If it's Greek philosophy or Platonic thought, it doesn't matter. God uses who and what he will to reveal himself to man. And this realization of the progressive revelation of the soul, the expansion of that idea as revealed to the rabbis, was proved and confirmed on the third day when Jesus died and resurrected into his very same body and came back and showed up with holes in his hands and feet, eating fish and saying, a ghost can't do this. The Greeks were out of the argument at that point. Judaism takes up the proper mantle, soul, Body, reconnection, resurrection. And Yeshua is the first fruits promise of the seal of this resurrection of the dead. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand what I'm saying? God weighs in. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua, Messiah, from the dead. It's why Yeshua asked this question in John 11 when he's talking to Martha about Lazarus. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's how he defines himself. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He says, do you believe this? He's asking her. Do you believe this? Why would he ask that question? Because of everything else that was swirling around in first century Judaism. There's a lot he's saying. Your soul will live on. You will have eternal life. There's a literal resurrection. And I'm the way it happens. There's also a lot he's not saying. He is not saying when he says, do you believe this, Martha? If you died today, do you know where you'd end up? He's not saying, Martha, have you considered what a life of eternal torment in hell would be like? Martha, I want to sit you down and tell you about heaven and hell. I am the resurrection and the life. The soul within you is pure. And it will be reunited with this body. And he is the proof. The human body is not a prison. The human body is a work of art. The human body in Jewish thought, it includes both. And three days after death, Yeshua put his exclamation point on it and said, Pharisees, you got it. You got it. Everything you've been saying, it's right. The elementary principle, we can now understand why it is so incredibly important for the believer that the Hebrews writer is talking to, to understand what the resurrection means, how central it is, and how confirmed it is, given all those ideas swirling around, giving, given the necessity to understand what God was doing here through the Jewish way, not the Greek way. 
soul, resurrection, the God's way, the God's son way, and why the elementary principle is not you need to understand heaven and hell. Now you could argue with me right here and you could say, oh, you lost it. Elementary principle six, eternal judgment to heaven and hell. We'll get to that. We'll spend a lot of time on that. But we are to lay hold of the hope we have in the resurrection of our souls into renewed physical bodies. And this, my friends, is a Jewish thought. Have I said that enough times for you to understand it? Yes. There is this apparent difficulty. Eternal judgment. Yeshua says in Matthew 25, they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And we do need to know about that. And we will. Because as central as this resurrection point is, our initial question here remains unexplored. Where do we go when we die? Is heaven our home? Point two, though. Problem two, actually. We're not done with the Greek stuff. You thought we just got rid of Plato. We talked about Plato for one week. I'm glad I didn't invite anybody that week. But uh, no, there's a lot more Greek. And here's why. Judaism worked this out. Soul, resurrection, messianic age, world to come. God confirmed it through Messiah, confirmed it with his resurrection, but not everyone believed it. And Yeshua did not come back to validate the hope of the resurrection. But in the meantime, something happened. All of that Greek thought that existed prior to this formation of the soul and resurrection and all the things that came to be, that Greek thought worked its way right back into Christian thought. As it moved away from Judaism, it worked right back in. Christian heaven and hell, Christians raised in Platonic, or Gentiles raised in Greek Platonic thought were coming into the Christian movement. They're seeing this thing over here, and this thing over here, and this thing over here, and they all create this amalgam of Judaism, Jesus, and Plato. And it, and it changed a whole perspective away from the resurrection of this body on this planet raised to exist in the kingdom of heaven that's coming here. And all of that Greek cloud became a heavenly bliss somewhere in the sky or a deep and dark burning torment, pour gasoline on your eyeballs, eternal hell. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. You're either going to heaven with Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. And there's a resurrection in there somewhere. Plato continued to be influential in Christian theology for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's really a big part also of why I mentioned Plato to begin with. I wanted you to see this influence. Potentially on Judaism, yes, we've already talked about that and looked at how that could be. We've also now seen how Judaism took that, took the seeds and the grains of truth out of them, watered them with the Ruach HaKodesh and wisdom from heaven, and created created the understanding of 
of the resurrection, which Yeshua cemented and finalized. We've seen what Judaism did with that. But beyond that, then Christian thought. The safest general characterization of the European philosophical, philosophical tradition is that it consists of a series of footnotes to Plato. You could sort of say that for much of Western thought when it comes to Christianity and the afterlife as well. Separated from the Jewish component, the story changes. A divorce from the Jewish Pharisaic understanding of this stuff gets the train off the track. And it was, it was those who became the Pharisees who gave you the idea of the resurrection. Now, they're brilliant biblical scholars, and all throughout the Torah, we can look and see all kinds of evidence for the resurrection that the Pharisees brought out, but they articulated it. And God gave them their vote of confidence. They were right in so many ways. So many ways. We should know why and what they say because the, the, the ideas that se- of people that separated themselves from Judaism is not really what we should build our future hope on, I'm afraid. Because the New Testament does not teach anything about the afterlife that was not already taught amongst the Pharisees. Do you hear that statement? The New Testament does not teach anything about the afterlife that was not already taught amongst the Pharisees. Now, the personnel is a little different, but next week, we're going to look at those elements with a study of, you ready? Sheol, Gehenna, Abaddon, Hades, Hail, and Paradise. And we're going to do that from a Jewish perspective, and likely the next week, we'll take a walk through Luke 16, where we'll meet a rich man and a poor poor man named Eleazar, who ended up in Abraham's bosom. You ever heard of that place? You're going to know a lot more about it by the time we're done. Shabbat Shalom.